Uh, I can't remember the last time I spoke, but whenever it was, it was on the subject of um, the goodness of God, the nature of God. I was talking about just developing that some more. I'm going to go back and just do a little bit of summary so we, we can kind of remember where we left off. It feels disjointed when you do it once a month, but that's okay. It's, um, I think I was teaching from Matthew 16, 13, when, we, when Jesus asked his followers, he said, what are the people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do they believe I am? And they answered, some are convinced that you're John the Baptizer, and others say you are Elijah reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he turned to them and he says, but you, who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. So that's the question I started with several months ago, and the Lord asked me that same question in my journaling time. And um, he said, Bob, who do you say I am? Who do you, who do you see me in, in reality, in your heart of hearts? What is the truth about your perspective on who I am? He was just, just drilling down, trying to find out, what do you really believe? Because when I had been going through a number of years of illness, my faith began to wane on God caring about me. And I just have to admit that. I wasn't the spiritual giant or the man of God that you may think I am. <laughs> but I've been, I was sick for so long, I wondered if he had somehow neglected our relationship. And I felt that I was feeling like I'd been abandoned somewhat. Those are just my issues. But, I mean, he was, um, he was always there. He was always attentive, but he didn't deal with my stuff. It's like, we're going to get through this. And I said, I know, but this hurts real bad. And he says, I know it does. We're going to get through this. And so we had this interesting conversation. So I'm trying to go back and reconstruct what happened there. Is that fair? So um, is what I believe about God my own belief? Or is it someone else's belief that they told me about him that I thought was a good idea? Have I adopted someone else's faith and failed to lay the foundation of my own? And when things happen to me in my life, will I have something strong and firm that I can stand on and say, I still believe that because that's mine. And so that's what I'm going back and looking at. I know I do have that foundation. And it was laid years ago, but it's been tested as of late. And, um, and part of that was just so I would realize where I stood so that I could build on that. There's something else that's coming that I want to tell you about tonight. Anyway, all these questions prompted me to rethink my perspective on who God was. So I began reading the Bible. That's a good place to start, isn't it? I went back and I said, what does the Bible say about this? Isn't that a good idea, Tim? Yeah, and I would ask Tim, and he would probably tell me, but I needed to own it for myself. So I went back into, and everything I read, everywhere I read, I, tried to, I read it with the eyes to try to see God. And I asked him to show me, to, by revelation, the truth about who he is. And I, not only did I read the Bible, but I went to reading uh, uh, what other people had said that I trust. People that have gone before me that are, I think, are spiritual giants. And they've said these things, and I want to grow into that pocket. I want to move into that area of maturity. And uh, sometimes we just need to read people that we trust. We know are godly. They've got mileage. The fruit of their lives demonstrates that they believe and act on what they believe. And there's a few people like that. One such person is Graham Cook. 
And every time I go on his site, I see where you've already been before me <laughs> because you've, you've said you liked it and liked it and liked it. So some of what you'll hear is, is his stuff. And so I plagiarized the heck out of him. But anyway, this, this Graham Cook made this statement. I think I read this maybe back in June. I don't remember when it was. But it says, he said this, what you think about God is the most important thought you will ever have. And I thought, okay, if that's the most important thought I'll ever have, I need to get that squared away. Because what I think about him mm, was a little iffy in the midst of my pain. Another man I respect is a man I read for years. You may not even know him. He's, he's long since deceased. But he left some great devotional stuff. His name is Oswald Chambers. And he wrote this, Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God. So if faith is the deliberate confidence in the character of God, I should learn about the character of God so that my faith will have confidence in that. Does that make sense? So Bible study and personal testimony are both great sources of knowing God. I've been on that journey. I'm picking through these things, gleaning what I can from these things, asking God to show me. And another area that I thought was important that I needed to go look at was in the area of um, um, my own personal devotional time. Sometimes it's not what someone else said about God, though wise it may be. And sometimes it's not just a, a Bible scripture that comes to you that, that really makes sense and touches your heart. Sometimes in our prayer time, our journaling time, we'll actually hear from God and we'll have something that we say, you know, that was the Lord. I, I can hang on to that. That goes right in line with Bible and what these other men have said. And, and so I get a, a theme going and I work themes Boy, do I work themes because, because I don't hear the audible voice of God. I'm not I, somewhat prophetic at times, but most of the time I have to just work hard to get it. And I'm willing to do that because I love to study. But this is, so those are three areas, Bible study, testimony of mature believers, and my own devotional time are the areas I look at to see if there's any harmony. But even <clears throat> the Bible study by itself alone is not the answer. And I know that sounds like blasphemy. Let me just explain what I'm saying. Getting information about God from the Bible is still a matter of your own interpretation. And how you see it may or may not be exactly right. You, get, you grant me that? Sometimes we've read about him and we've understood things only to find out later that we kind of missed it a little bit or we, we didn't read it right. There's a misinterpretation. I've done that before, and I had to go back and apologize. But I think it was Bill Johnson who said, um, the gospel gets perverted when people who are not in love interpret Scripture. So if we read people, or their comments about people who haven't been touched deep in their hearts by God's love, then the interpretation they might have might be something less than what we're looking for. How's that? Is that gracious? All right. So Jesus had something to say about that as well. I love his scripture because it's always in red and it, it's always more than I can comprehend and I have to dig. But he said this to some people that were following him, and usually that's religious people that are just nitpicking him and find criticizing and trying to find fault with him. And as usual, here was this entourage of religious people. And he turned to them and said, you know, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. 
But the scriptures point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me to receive life. So we can read scripture, we can interpret it correctly and still not have good application. According to Jesus. If our heart is not turned toward his love. So recently in my journaling, <laughs> I had a kind of a wake-up call. I felt like the Lord told me, and this is a, a theme that's been building, so it's not like I got this in one setting. Bits and pieces came to me, and I put it together in a paragraph for you. But this is what I wrote. This is the Lord speaking to my heart. He said, compared to what I have for you, you are living a life of spiritual poverty. And yet, here I stand with my arms outstretched. He says, this is not criticism, Bob. This is an invitation. So I received it like that. And he went on to say, come to me so that you may experience everything I have for you. There is so much more, and I want you to come closer. So let me explain to you what that looks like. When, when, when we hear an invitation from the Creator, from Almighty God to come close, what does that feel like? What do you feel like when I say that? Huh? I can't hear you. How? Okay. All right, so there's the question of how do I do that, which is we're going to talk about that tonight. What are some of the other emotions we might have? God says, come, come over here. Come closer. A little bit of trepidation, like what's going to happen next? What's up, right? Yeah, because we have some, some of us have some daddy issues still, don't we? Okay. All right, so I thought, well, what? here's my first inclination. What must... I be lacking in my experience with God that would cause him to invite me to come closer. I thought I was. And he's saying, oh, no, you haven't even scratched the surface. Come over here. What am I missing that he wants to bring to me that I have not even noticed before? So immediately I started going back through my checklist. You know how my brain works. Well, what did I miss? Have I done this? Have I done that? Have I done this? That's just craziness in my head. But So I went through my list. Where did I drop the balls? I thought back. I checked off the things I knew I should do to, to mature and to grow and to develop. And I thought, God, I've been doing these things. So I listened carefully to what other people have said about who you are. I read all their stuff. I've, I've pondered. I've prayed over it. I've studied the Bible diligently in an attempt to connect with you. I've really tried hard to be a student of the Bible. Over the years, I've enjoyed, a, I think, a, a wonderful history of intimacy with the Lord. And yet, here he is saying, no, no, no. Come over here. You're missing a lot that I have for you. So what more is there? What is missing from my experience and possibly your own that we haven't even delved into that God has for us? That's an ocean and we've been standing with our toes on the, to on the beach. So right on cue, I, I, get, I see this thing, I think it was Chris Valentin, and it connected the dots for me. It was amazing because it was right on schedule. Isn't that amazing? So it, but it says this, Revelation is not the child of laborious effort and searching. Revelation is the child of friendship. Hmm, so uh, there's a clue. 
Even I can get that one. So the information about God, even revelation and higher wisdom, all this stuff that says I've been there and I got it, and I got the T-shirt, and you know I'm doing the whole thing. He's saying that's not what's important. So reading Jesus' words in John 15, 15 convinced me that I was on to something. So can I read those for you? This is really good. It's right from the Lord's mouth. <laughs> he says to you, I have never called you servants. Never. I have never called you servants. And you know what that means in the Greek? It, it's an inference to slavery. I've never looked at you as slaves and servants to serve me. Because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master's doing. They just do their job and they, they're just ignorant of whatever's going on in the household, in the government of God. He says, but I call you my most intimate friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from the Father. There's nothing hidden from God's friends. Now, according to Jesus, then he is not after servants at all. He's seeking friends. You with me? Scripturally, you feel good about that? This is what he's saying. And it's in this relationship with friends that he reveals all that he's doing. Serving God may be a goal of a servant, but it is never his purpose for a son or daughter. Service is not the issue. Can I say that? Friendship is the issue. And that's the ocean that I hadn't waded out in. Today I have but one goal, and that's to become a friend of God. So when I read the verse that we posted up here tonight, the Psalm 34, it took on a totally different message because I read it with different eyes. I'm going to share with you what I read in that. Um, first of all, in Psalm 34, David's making a bold statement. He is the author of this psalm. And I think of anyone who's qualified to talk about a relationship with God, the man for hundreds of years who has been known as a friend of God and a man of God would be qualified to speak on the subject, wouldn't you? So I want it's interesting that he would present this psalm and in, this, in the first seven verses, he's absolutely over the top celebrating the goodness of God. He's giddy. He's, he's gone nuts because he's just escaped the king of the Philistines who was going to kill him. And he's gotten back and he's safe. And he's saying, God saved me. And he's just dancing around and singing. And he's got seven verses there of how good God is and how we should make him our champion we should celebrate him and make him famous because of his goodness. And he gets to verse 8 and says this. Two things. He gives an invitation to the reader, and that would be whom? That would be us. There's an invitation followed by a promise. You, are you interested? <laughs> okay. So he says, for the sake of time, I'm just going to go straight to that and not go back over the other verses. But David says this. 
And I'm going to read it from two or three different translations because the words are just wonderful. They come from different perspectives, and they paint, a, a, I think, a montage of, of meaning that we wouldn't get by reading just one. The first one is this. Open your mouth and taste. There's a picture. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Remember now, he's celebrating, and he is beside himself because God's been so good to him. So if the reader decides to accept that, to taste and see God's goodness, then there needs to be some sense of acceptance. I believe I'll take some of that. Anybody here want to try that with me? Because there's a promise that comes on the heels of that and a promise that's not, it's, it's only conditional on the fact that you say yes. You with me? So he says, now, blessed are you who run to him. There's no other qualifying religious activities we have to do. You don't have to finish seminary. You don't have to have memorized the Bible. You don't have to be doing particularly well today and be what you would call godly and righteous. You just need to turn and say, here I come. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to find refuge and hide in you. It sounds like the gospel. It's too good to be true, isn't it? It's exactly what it is. Then David says to us, if, if we will accept this invitation, if we will simply turn toward God, we will see that act of, he will see us turning toward him as an act of repentance. He says, I'll call that good. If you'll turn to me and come to me, I'll call that repentance. Because it means there's lack in your life and you're looking to me for answers and you're coming to me and that's a qualifier. You good? And he says, if you do that, there's a promise that follows, and that is that you will find yourselves immediately blessed. It doesn't say eventually, and it doesn't say maybe in the sweet by and by or in heaven you'll get all kinds of good things. He says immediately you will enter into a place of blessing because God provides that to those who turn to him. Now, what blessing means is, an, is another topic that I want to unpack for you just a little bit because it's important that if it says blessing then, and that sounds good, I want you to know it's more than that. This is the ocean that we wade out into of friendship. When we hear the invitation and we stop and we turn to God and we come close, we experience the promise. And the promise is that in His goodness we will find blessing. Now, other translations... Uh, word that a little differently. I'm going to read a couple for you. In the, in the Passion Bible, it's just rich. It's so good, I can't even... I, I just have to stop and look at it because he says, drink deeply. That's what that means. Drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. That's what David's saying. Drink, go ahead. Drink deeply because it's, it doesn't run out. There's an ever-flowing sense of pleasure in God's presence. He says, now, experience for yourself the joyous mercies. And when I say mercies, what do you think of? Anybody? Good things? It's good things, right? Joyous mercies sounds like God's grace is being poured out, and it's going to create a pandemonium of, of joy. 
He says, if you draw close, I want you to know there's an experience coming of joyous mercies. And one of those is forgiveness. Because it creates acceptance and belonging. And in this new realm, this place of safety and refuge, God begins to pour out his love on us. And something changes in us. We're transformed. I'm going to teach on that later. But there's a transformation that takes place as we observe him. We are changed into his likeness. Now that is a mystery. But he says it's a reality in the spirit. As you behold him, as you observe him, you are changed into his presence and you begin to exude his glory to other people, just like Moses did when he came down from the mountain. But the Amplified Bible reads like this, O taste and see that the Lord our God is good, blessed and happy and fortunate and envied is the man who trusts and takes refuge in him. Those are all good things, by the way. The Good News translation, which you may not read much, but it was popular back in my day. It's a a paraphrase, but it says this. Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. Go ahead. Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. Happy are those who find safety in Him. So if we're thinking in terms of God giving us an invitation and there's something there for us, it's not a carrot on a stick. It's a, it's a broad expanse of blessing that includes a number of things. Don't you think we'd want to consider how we would do that? Right, Sue? I, w- I would be in. I would want to know, how do I do that? Because that's what I was asking him as I was moving through this message. This promise is offered to all who will turn to him and find refuge in him. Who would that include? Anyone who wants it. Anyone who will respond This is available to them. And David is saying, you won't believe how good this is. I can't believe the whole nation is not running to take advantage of this. And it's because we've been ignorant of what's being offered to us. Once we see what's happening here in his life, I want you to know it's going to create a hunger in you that won't go away. It'll only be satisfied with more of God. So all of us who turn to run to him, who hide ourselves in him and take refuge in him, what does that mean anyway? to take refuge in God. Any thoughts? I'm sorry? Trust. And so why would we run to him, Mary? Why would you ever run for safety? Because things aren't going well, right? We're in a scary world. Crazy stuff happens. God says, hey, right there, you need to turn and run to me and find safety. Take refuge in me and watch what happens. That all goes away. I'll take you to another place. A place where there's not that worry, not that anxiety and fear and consternation and brokenness. A place of healing and love. He's offering us heaven on earth. So David's response to God was that of an accepted son. He was not a servant. All those years on the backside of the mountain tending sheep, talking to God, he had come to know his identity. And it wasn't as a slave or servant. He was an accepted son. And he moved easily into this because of years of practice. He understood how this works. As a beloved son, he was entitled to the father's blessing and favor because the father said so. Not because of a sense of entitlement. The father said, come. It's all yours. Come in. Come in. 
Now, I know this, this sounds like different, but what I'm hearing here from God is that it's always been this way, and there's more, and you have not realized that I have an incredible um, array of blessings for you if you will come close. Step into this relationship more. Become my friend and see what happens in your life. Now, it, I think it was, I don't know how many years later it was, but anyway, in the New Testament, hundreds of years, the Apostle Paul was writing on this same subject. And he, he also understood the role of a son as opposed to a servant. Because Jesus had come to him, the risen Jesus had come to him and taught him face to face everything he needed to know to go teach the gospel. He had the direct download from the source. And he came away saying, huh, Romans 7 is where I was, but Romans 8 is where I've arrived. There's therefore now no condemnation for me because I'm a son. I always wondered how he made that jump. It was by revelation, people. It was by revelation from God's heart. He wrote this in Romans 8. This is interesting language. I can't remember the translation. If you need it, I'll get it for you. But I had this written down, and I just cut and pasted it in here because it was so good. This is Paul speaking. He says now, he's speaking to the readers, which is who? That's us, right? This is believers under a new covenant, and he's speaking to us today, the same message David spoke in Psalm. And he says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. So we can just put that away. We're done with the spirit of religious duty because that spirit is a small s and it can't be good. Right? Okay, we'll say so. <laughs> okay. Says so you're done with that. That's the, th that's the spirit that leads you back into the fear of never being good enough. He says, that's not you. You've never... You, you did not receive that spirit, and that is not what is on you. And you need to change your mind about that right now. He says, instead, here's what I want you to understand. You have received, get this language now, you have received a different spirit, capital S, is the spirit of full acceptance. There's something different going on here. This is saying, come closer. I have incredible blessings for you because you're mine you're my child this is the spirit of full acceptance that now lives in the heart of believers that says it's true reach out and take hold of it don't be afraid to believe that he loves you this much so he goes on to say you've received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. You're a child and you've been adopted and you've been enfolded into this family. You belong and you are a child of God, a son or a daughter. And you will never, say that with me, never feel orphaned. Just be done with that. You don't have to do that. You don't ever have to feel orphaned. No matter what's going on in the natural, you can come over here and I'll tell you a different story. You never have to feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, this will be the Spirit of God rising up inside of us. Our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, 
beloved Father. As the Spirit of God rises up within us, our spirit joins his spirit and cries out in relief, Hallelujah, beloved Father, Abba, Father, in some translations. For the Holy Spirit makes Father, God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Now let me ask you something. How close do you need to be to hear a whisper? Very close. In fact, you might have to come, if you're speaking in my ear, because <laughs> I'm deaf in this ear, you might have to come up and incline your head in my proximity so that I can hear what you're saying, especially if it's something that's just meant for me. If it's a tender word, if Janet were to say something to me tender, we might whisper those things to each other. How close do we need to get? You need to lean in close enough to incline your ear so that you can hear him whisper, you are my beloved child. You belong here. You're mine. Don't we need to hear that? We don't have that spirit of an orphan. We have a new spirit, a spirit of the accepted child. That was just a taste, a foretaste of where I'm going on my next message. I'm going to stop there because I don't want to keep going because I've got numerous pages. What I do want to do is to pray over you because if we can get that much, we can move into the how-to. This is a change of heart as opposed to a change of behavior. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you, and if you can agree with me in prayer, then we can make this step forward together. Are you willing to trust me on this? Okay. So here's what I want to do. I've made some, some just bullet notes. I'm, I'm going to move through these in prayer to pray them over us. This is for me. This is for you. Anyone who wants to stop and turn and respond. So if that's in your heart, just listen. I'm going to speak these words over you, and I want you to know the words have the power to connect with your heart and your spirit and to take you into this place. I pray, first of all, that we would recognize in our hearts that we are sons and daughters enfolded into a family and we belong to God. I pray that over us. God, come and show us by revelation of your spirit that we belong to you, that we're not orphans, that we're your children. I pray that we would have the courage and the strength and the determination to throw off the spirit of religious duty, that old wineskin of church and religion, and we'd embrace this new wineskin, as Paula calls it, that God's meant that he can pour his spirit into that won't break and crack and lose the contents. I pray that we would become aware of this gift of the spirit of full acceptance. In fact, Lord, we agree with you, Father, and we receive your words of acceptance. We embrace them. We, we hold them tight to our hearts, and we say yes to your words. Amen? Amen? And then we, we align ourselves with your words of acceptance and belonging and family, and we ask for the boldness to walk toward you, to join you, 
and to respond with tender words of affection. Beloved Father, Abba Father. And I pray that we would embrace the confidence to act on our true identity. This word that we've heard, I pray we would respond to this and begin to think about it and let it be assimilated into our being, to take it into our spirits, that we would become sons and daughters and not orphans. We were done with the religious duty and that whole spirit, that religious system. We throw it off and we embrace the spirit of adoption. I pray, Lord, you would help us to expect you to respond because it was your invitation. And in turning, you are looking at us, your countenance toward us as a smile. You're pleased with us and you call out us to come close. We say with David that you're a good father. We say with Paul that you're a good father. We agree with Jesus that you're a good father. And we ask, us, ask you to show us the way forward so that we might take those initial steps, uh, imperfect though they may be, our intent is to close the gap between us so that we can hear the whisper of your words of adoption. Can you say amen? Amen.